guys, Jeff here. Drum roll, please. Oh, you probably don't know, but this week is a big week in the Bethke household. Why? Because this exact week is when we launched Family Teams last year. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I'm going to talk about that more once the episode gets going. To do a special episode, I interviewed Jeremy, the other half of Family Teams, him and his wife, April, me and Alyssa, us four, our Family Teams. Me and Jeremy answer your most frequently asked questions about Family Teams. I'm so stoked, but big news to celebrate to celebrate, we're doing Oprah-like crazy car giveaway stuff, okay? So we're starting basically the holiday sale, the Black Friday sales, Cyber Monday sales, almost, uh, what, four or five days early, just to bless you guys and just today because today's the anniversary. So familyteams.com slash Black Friday. I would advise you, go check this out even before you listen to the podcast. Pause, go check it out. We got three or four deals on there, familyteams.com slash Black Friday that are just crazy. Like we're doing packages where you're basically getting three or four e-courses for free. We're doing a BOGO deal on our skill of fatherhood masterclass so you can buy one and then just gift one entirely free to a friend, to anyone you want. We're doing a family team starter kit, which I think you save like $150. We're basically giving you like three or four items for free uh, based on the cost difference. And then we're also giving you $100 off just this week only and just at that link to all of the workshop tickets for family teams weekend. It's crazy. You need to go check it out right now. Familyteams.com slash back Friday. Pause, go check them out. Come back, listen to the awesome episode. Love you guys. Hey guys, welcome to the Real Life Podcast, where we talk about exactly that every single week, real life, which means some episodes might be about a fight we just had, some episodes might be about potty training since we have two toddlers, and some might be about eschatological realism because I love thinking and talking about deep theological things, and maybe we'll talk about all three of those in one episode. But we hope the show feels like hanging out in our living room with us, drinking a cup of coffee as we discuss faith and family and culture and Jesus. Me and my lovely wife, Alyssa, are your hosts, and don't hesitate to hit us up or reach out on social media to say hi or comment on this week's episode. Enjoy. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Real Life Podcast, where we talk about faith, culture, and answer your questions. Hey, super, super excited today because today's a big day. Today is the Thanksgiving week 2019. The reason that's important is because Thanksgiving week 2018, we had been keeping it under wraps, but then finally that week last year launched Family Teams, the whole new brand, initiative, ministry, resources, whatever you want to call it. Uh, None of you guys knew about it, but we had been working on it and then we launched it with the priors that week. So this is the one year anniversary or one year birthday, depending on how you see family teams. Is it like a relationship or is it like a person? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's the birthday and the anniversary of family teams. And guys, Jeremy uh, is on the other line. Like we're talking, we we actually are talking on the phone, but on the podcast, I'm going to interview him today to talk about that. We can, we're going to reflect, but mainly what we're going to do is celebrate by answering your guys' kind of most important questions that you have kind of asked over the year and the ones that we have felt like are the most recurring, the ones where you guys run into the most roadblocks and we just can't wait for it to be um, hopefully helpful to you. But Jeremy, how are you doing and how's it feel to be on the one year anniversary slash birthday of Family Teams? Oh man, what's up, Jeff? Yeah, it's awesome. I can't believe it's just been a year. I mean, (laughs) you know, we get a lot of feedback. Jeff and I are just last night we were texting each other like various comments you guys have made ways this is impacting your families and we're just totally overwhelmed i i just love it it's been so awesome and you know <clears throat> just watching the pictures seeing the comments and the impact on your families that's what you know makes this whole thing so exciting it gives us so much life around totally. this so this is this is all about what you guys are putting into practice and how it's impacting your families. And it's been an awesome year for that for sure. Yes. Yes. So, and seriously guys from Jeremy and April, me and Alyssa, like, thank you guys. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I still remember that feeling of like nervousness a little last year of like, Oh, like, will it, will people respond? What will it be like? Um, and cause we really had dreams of doing a lot of stuff. You guys can probably all see that we like creating things. We like helping you guys resourcing courses, you know, membership communities, calendars, all blah, 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 everything. We, you know, we have a lot pod, multiple podcasts and we had dreams of that, but you know, doing all that, if no one wanted it, wouldn't have been helpful. And so, man, you guys have actually blown us away. It's the opposite. You know, I think our growth has mm-hmm. actually surprised us. I mean, 24,000 followers on Instagram, which at some level, you know, is meaningless. Social media doesn't matter, but actually it is really cool to think that 24,000 people 
um, want mm-hmm. to hear and be impacted and be encouraged by um, family teams and just work on their families and work on building their multi-generational teams. So just to say, seriously, guys, thank you. You guys have blown us away. The growth that we've had is basically just a representation of you guys individually and collectively blowing us away um, and encouraging us and making us just spurred on to continue. So we hope it's been encouraging. We got lots more in the works. We can't wait. And if you guys saw, I think I, I think I did this in the little pre-roll before this episode, but make sure if you're listening to this, this is Thanksgiving week. So to celebrate the birthday slash anniversary, we're doing what we did similar to last year. We're doing a crazy, insane holiday week sale. It's already started. Podcast listeners get it first. So I would highly suggest you get on there. We have like that where, you know, multiple deals of like, I think we're, we're one of them is, you know, the family team starter kit where we're doing, you know, some books, uh, some master classes and the family plan calendar. And you're getting that all basically, you're basically getting like, you're basically paying for like two of those things and getting like four of them free based on the price. So I would highly suggest yeah. doing that. You can split it up with your friends or your family or other families or keep it all to yourself. If you want to just dominate and bless yourself, we're doing the everything <laughs> e-course package, which is crazy. I think we've done like seven or eight e-courses over the last five years. If you include family teams and Jeff and Alyssa stuff, um, and we're doing that for like, I think two ninety nine, um, which is basically like the skill of fatherhood masterclass plus love that lasts. So you're getting five e-courses for just entirely free. So if you're a church or if you're just want to have content, you know, for yourself to work on over the next year or two, highly suggest that. So, uh, familyteams.com slash black Friday. So again, familyteams.com slash black Friday, tons of deals on there, including a hundred dollars off on family teams weekends tickets for just this week only. So Get on there, get it, get your stuff. We're celebrating, we're going crazy. We love deals. I like feeling like I'm Oprah, so everyone gets a car, you know, <laughs> go on there and do it. Um, okay, let's jump into it. So Jeremy, this first question I wanted to ask is actually because uh, I just was interacting with this question on Instagram. I'm trying to remember her name, but it was a great question and I loved how she asked it and worded it uh, and see if I can go back and find it. But essentially, what I want where I wanna start, and because again, I wanna talk about the common questions, common roadblocks. One of the main questions when people are kind of trying to build their family team and work on their family is they feel like it sometimes butts up against um, church, right? Or butts up against yeah. how they're supposed to view church and be in ministry and serving. Um, and sometimes people, and this question was good, but I think the, to- the the question was basically, you know, sometimes this feels a little insular and how do you make sure that you're not, you know, um, kind of doing, honoring your family at the expense of like your big church family, Right. Um, And kind of like forsaking gathering and all that. So just talk about that. I mean, mainly I'd actually love to hear you talk about it philosophically of like, because I know for us, we don't feel like those compete, right? I feel like actually working on our family is actually serving the corporate family. And me, us working on being a family team is actually going to bless the kingdom of God and the larger family. And that we're a part of a community. We go to church. We go, we gather, we worship, we're in community, we meet rhythmically, we've been in small groups. Like we do that to get all of that stuff. Um, and it doesn't seem competing. But but to, right. but I've noticed mm-hmm. to a lot of people, they do have this struggle. So maybe start philosophically of like, why do you think they... Why do you think kind of people have a problem maybe putting these two together and making them feel like they're mutually exclusive? Yeah, well, there's there's always, you know, the propensity that we have to try to, you know, figure out what's the least I have to do to feel like I'm, you know, doing my religious duty or, you know, and so yeah. in that, in the face of sort of that, sometimes when people hear, um, hey, it's really important to focus on your family and build a family team, they're, they start to if they're really doing church for religious reasons and in other words they're trying to check boxes they're trying to figure out what what is the what is that minimum bar so that i can forget about it uh, and then they start to hear about other values then it can start to compete you know if that's your heart uh, and a lot of people are struggling with that you know they a lot of people go to church and engage in church because they have this gnawing sense of i i should you know do that and I think that when they start to hear about the value of family and all of the faith uh, opportunities in the home, then they might say, well, if I do that there, maybe I can, you know, sort of cross this whole item off my list, you know, so to speak. And so um, obviously, you guys, that is not the heart of the gospel. Um, the heart of the gospel is that Jesus uh, came to adopt us into his father's family, and his father's family is represented in uh, the the gathering of diverse people from different families, from different ethnic groups, uh, from different socioeconomic statuses into one community and one body. And that is, that is a beautiful thing. And we all should be uh, valuing that, participating in that, and prioritizing those, those things. 
Um, I think the thing that is a little challenging just culturally for the way sometimes we think about this stuff is that in Jesus's day, people were actually really good at building multi-generational family teams. And so Jesus was constantly confronting the problem of uh, people who were completely obsessed with the idol of family. And so he often would really create the fork in the road around his lordship by simply saying, you know, which is it? You want to pick family or you want to follow me? And that was the most effective and quickest way to discover if somebody was really choosing to uh, to believe in Jesus. Now, now, does that mean that Jesus wants us to leave our families? Does that mean that Jesus doesn't value family? Does that mean that all the things that the, both the Old and New Testament say about the importance of family somehow become void in the gospel? And of course, that's not true. If, if it's competing directly with Jesus's lordship, Jesus wins, you know? And But uh, that's not... That kind of like uh, win-lose idea is really not the heart. The heart is, you guys, if you're building and leading families, then there is almost no better way for you to serve your church and to serve the community and to experience the kingdom and to spread the kingdom than to build a very strong family. And so these things need to be done both. You know, like it's not... You know, it's both and. You need to build a strong family. You need to invite other people in. They need to see the gospel and experience the kingdom of God through your fathering, through your mothering, uh, through your children, through your sonship, through your daughterhood. These are all categories that don't, that are all gospel categories that make no sense to people who've never experienced fatherhood or motherhood or sonship or daughterhood. And that's the real crisis right now in our culture and in the church is that so many of us have abandoned. Uh, the family and the way it was designed in in the Bible, uh, the way that God designed it, and we've decided to follow after sort of this cultural idea of family, which is just a collection of individuals. And right now, before our eyes, these concepts of fatherhood and motherhood, uh, sonship and daughterhood are all being deconstructed. And then you know we're saying, well, let's just do church. But it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what is, how do you emphasize what the church is if you've deconstructed all of yeah. these concepts that the church is based on? So I think these are, you know, there's a lot more to that. That's the philosophical, theological side of it. There's the practical side we can get into, but it's really important to not pit these as, as competing with each other. Totally. I love that. I love that. And I think you're right. Two things, you know, that I would even <clears throat> um, draw out even more is what you were saying of like, yeah, Jesus clearly confronts the idolatry of family in the first century. But at the end of the day, like if we really compare where they were at with their, with what they believe about family and what we believe about family, like we're so light years ahead or behind or uh, disconnected from like idolatry of family. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think we really understand what that meant in the first century for a Jewish family to believe they were children of Abraham. Like we don't, we have no zero, we have zero context for what that meant. And Jesus was only confronting that because his lordship actually was competing with that, right? Most American families and most family teams, it's not competing with the lordship of Jesus, right? But to follow Yeshua in the first century over and again, like you you literally were going to get killed most likely, right? Uh, And most of them did. And so like that's like we have to hold that. It's true. Um, rather than kind of read those texts like hate your mother and your father and your brother and like with like 21st century lenses and be like, oh yeah, let's obey this. And it's like, no, no, no. Let's right. do you do you realize what he was saying? And do you realize where he was saying and do you realize why he was saying? Because it is very important That's actually. Right. Like and he needed to say that for a reason. And we have to be very on guard, but let's actually like pay attention to the context. So yeah, that like that's yeah, that's probably the most powerful verse, by the way. In Luke 14, Jesus says, if you do not hate your father, mother, brothers, sisters, even in your own life, you cannot be my disciple. And there's two ways to interpret that, right? One way is to say, Jesus sat down and decided to teach his disciples about family. And he said, okay, guys, let me tell you about family. Point number one, hate them all. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that is not what Jesus was doing. Jesus was saying, let me tell you about my lordship. Yeah. Let and me tell you about what it means to, a very to follow specific me. Problem. That's right. And that's why he ends that entire discussion with these words. He says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. What he's saying is you must give everything to him. That includes your family. That doesn't mean you abandon your family. It doesn't mean you as a father or mother with young children should like leave your family uh, to follow Jesus. What Jesus is saying there is you have to give your entire family to him. And as fathers and mothers, we have authority over our family. So we can give our entire families under Jesus's lordship. We don't have to leave our families. Now, once we do that, then the next question becomes, how do I 
lead my family in a way consistent with Jesus's lordship. And that is what we're trying to dis- describe. That is what we don't understand in our culture anymore. How do you lead a family under the lordship of Jesus? And of course, the first way to think about that is you need to understand the way God designed the family, what he designed it to do and to be. And yeah. because we don't really understand that God designed the family to be a team and to go on ministry together, then we, you know, we kind of run into this dilemma. And I understand totally. why it feels so stark, but I think that's that's the way that I think Jesus wants us to think about it. Let's totally. lead our families under his lordship. Totally. And we've talked about this elsewhere, guys, where like there is the American family idolatry, which is like you kind of want the back then it was more like legacy and lineage and generational aspect of what it meant to be Jewish in the first century. Now, our version of family idolatry is like the 1950s Pleasantville cute, never sins, nothing ever wrong. We protect them from the world. Right. And that's and like that's that's wrong, too. Right. That's not we're family on mission. The family isn't the mission. And I think we have to always remember that. Um, And that gets me to like the second clarification, I think, that I've been really thinking about lately with this conversation is, you know, because a lot of times people then say like basically like what I'm what I'm distilling is I think sometimes people conflate the difference between a family being insular and a family being intentional or sacred. Does that make sense? And what I mean by that is like a lot of times people, because there is, you can be an insular family, meaning if you're just facing inward, if you're just trying to be cute and awesome and white picket fence and moral and all that stuff, that's wrong. That's not why God has created you to be a team. He's created you to be a team to go accomplish things, to be on mission, to go out in the world, to push back the darkness, you know, and there's darkness in your own heart, by the way, for families that do struggle with that, realize that you can't actually, you know, hide out and avoid it. It's literally in you. Um, And then two, I would say, but what's interesting is, you know, sometimes in this conversation, people will say, like, oh, that sounds really insular to kind of like, uh, you know, protect a Sabbath day for your family or to do X for your family or to kind of uh, have family days or this or like, what about if someone asks you to serve or what about if someone asks you for this? Well, first of all, you should be spirit led so that you can totally break rules because that's what the spirit does. He leads you to just obey him. It doesn't matter if there's a rule or not. Two, um, what I've realized, and this is something I've really been wrestling with is this, 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 this thought that I'm haven't articulated yet, but it's like, is, um, you know, is this thought of basically, I think sometimes at the end of the day, if you were to really push a family to answer this question, functionally, there's basically nothing that's off limits for their family. And like, basically there's no, there's nothing that's kept sacred right? There's no moment. There's no time. Any, if anything were to get asked of them at any time, the family is the lowest on the totem pole of being able to protect it. Does that make sense? Like whether they get invited to oh, something, whether you're, you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying like, yeah. Yeah. So the, 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 the invi- so the coach always, their vision for the family comes first. The pastor's vision comes first. The teacher's yeah. vision comes the first. There's last. nowhere, there's nowhere it's okay for a parent just to say, no, 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 actually our family is doing X, Y, or Z. So you, you, you know, you can't yes. do what the coach, teacher, yes. pastor, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, say. And that, um, and that in terms gets of just back a particular a event. Totally. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Events, scheduling, like, like priorities, basically your schedule, your weekly right. rhythm, right? Like a lot of us, I realize functionally, functionally family is lowest on the totem pole. Me. And we actually right. think that's right. We think that's the best because then we actually get right. to, we, I don't know what it is, but I'm just trying to distill this thought of like, we think that that is somehow the best thing. And we say like, oh, if you actually, like if we, if we actually say like, oh, if you actually set aside time to protect your family for a family day, a family holiday or this or X, Y, or Z, and this is sacred intentional family time and they can't go see friends, you can't go to some hobby for this one little moment, by the way, not all week, <laughs> right? Not all week. Right. Sometimes people start just getting real freak out, right? They freak out like, right. oh, you can't, yeah, oh man. And right. it's like, and, it, and what's funny about that though, is like everything else in life does that, right? There is right. no, you, yep. you literally cannot just go to your school and say, well, I got invited to something. Can I just skip school today? <laughs> you cannot right. literally go to your work and say, hey, guess what? My friend invited me to this thing and I just really want to be nice and I really want to serve them. Like, can I just not come to work today? <laughs> like, and I just think that's right. fascinating. I don't know what's going on there because I'm still trying to distill it, but I've realized that that is kind of the core issue. And so I don't know. What are your thoughts on I, that? Of, yeah, I think in all those all those other examples, we understand that there's a unit or like a team or a group of people and that are have a leader. And so you can't ask every you can't accommodate every individual. When you're on a team, you can't say, "Okay, guys, let's all get our calendars out and figure out what works for every." You can't do that. Like you can't do that as a school, you can't do that as a church, you can't do that, you know, in your job. You just have to say, "Look, there's a leader, we're a team together. And so somebody's gonna have to make a very hard decision about like what are the traditions and the times that we're gonna be meeting and the things, the games we're gonna be playing. And we all have to kind of capitulate, right? That's just, the you have to do that when you're a unit. But because most people don't think family is a unit, has a leader or is a team, 
it's inappropriate for the family to exert that kind of leadership over the individual. We believe that that's wrong in our culture. It's an intuition we have, and it's a wrong intuition. It's not consistent with the Bible. There should be a very strong leader at the head of every family who is deciding those same things like a coach or a boss or a pastor would be deciding. They're deciding what are our rhythms? You know, what, what is non-negotiable? And of course, there's times where for exceptions and these things collide and priorities need to be hashed out. And sometimes other things should win besides the family. But what we're saying, I think what Jeff is saying is it's weird that our intuition is the family should always lose 100% of the time. That is what's weird. It's yeah. The family should lose sometimes. Sometimes the, your church is doing something and you're doing something and you should submit to what your church is doing. Sure. But... The problem is, again, the intuition is that 100% of the time the family capitulates. And that's because we don't think the family is a team. The family doesn't have a strong leader. There's no clear vision. We're not moving together. And so there's not that same intuition we have about those other areas of life where, hey, we can't all have our individual say. We need to kind of agree to follow and we need to agree to sort of sync up um, our vision and our schedules and our tr traditions and rhythms around what you know, we have decided, and then a lot of things are going to have to take a backseat to that decision. That, that, that should be happening as a family, you know, at some level. And we just, yeah, as a culture, we don't, we don't embrace that. Yeah, it's fascinating too. Well, it's fascinating too, because it is, it is really getting at the heart of like the individual should never be kind of put in a straight jacket. It's like this imagery of like, we, that's where that's right. what we feel it is. And so we kind of like want to buck out of it. But I do feel like it's funny though, that we don't feel that way about like work and other places, right? That just kind of, right. they are what they are. And so, yeah, I think there's a yeah. lot more layers there. I wanted to, to mention too one thing you you were saying, and that is that there there is this concern that people have that that we become insular, and we do see families that that I don't think are committing <laughs> idolatry. Um, they do go into a season of being insular, um, and I think the reason is because they are taking their family into the hospital, like they are recovering. They 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 are they don't have. Like they've lived their entire life out a Western narrative, and now all of a sudden they hear about, oh, I need to be a family team, and they need they need some space to figure that out, right? Now, and so I think that sometimes we don't understand that the family may be in a season where they're they're trying to restore or redeem or recover damage that's been done to their family, and so they become insular for a season in order to heal up so that they can be a blessing, so that they can they can go outward, like. And that's what I'm always asking when I hear about a family going insular, you know, they've got a lot of little kids, you know, they're overwhelmed, they're trying to start new rhythms, and they're becoming less and less outwardly focused, and it's a seasonal thing. And so when you talk to them and say, well, what's your ultimate vision for this? You know, are you, is the goal for you to become more and more insular and then to remain, or are you in a season where you're recovering things? And as somebody who might be, you know, a mom out there who's got, got a bunch of little kids and maybe doesn't have a lot of multi-generational or extended family support, you're trying to add rhythms. And then you have people saying, and you should be really outwardly focused and super evangelistic and go out there and change the world, um, you know, outside of your family as an individual. I can understand why that mom or that dad is going to spend, is going to resist that for a season. Now, what's cool, and this is something that, you know, we kind of try to play out in our community and it certainly has worked its way, you know, out in our own household is that now that, now that we, I don't feel like our family, for example, is in the hospital anymore. I do think we were for a season. We were really trying to figure this stuff out and it was not easy. Uh, but now we've got older kids, you know, there's a lot of strength in our family and we're constantly trying to figure out how do we, like our conversations are always, how do we come more about outreach? How do we invite more people that don't believe do our Sabbaths? Like how, how do we, how do we release and as a team, like pierce into other areas of the culture that are hurting? And so, you know, we're really bursting out of this strong sort of um, central uh, unit of the family. And we're really trying to engage in the kingdom and in church stuff um, as a family team. Um, so like you, you need to be careful that you're, you're aware of the season you're in and man, if somebody would have come and confront me, you know, 10 years ago and say, you're just being too insular, stop focusing on your family. This is bad for the kingdom. Um, and you're being, you're, you know, idolatry, you're committing idolatry with your family, man, I'm so glad that, that that didn't happen to me because, yeah. uh, all the fruit in the kingdom and all the outward stuff we're experiencing now, we would have been sacrificing. It's really a short-term thing. And yeah. so um, like it's a short, it's short to say, hey, in a really tough season where you're trying to recover family, redeem family, you know, you got a lot of little kids, you're really trying to figure this stuff out. You got to give people some space, but make sure that their vision isn't insular. Like, totally. like talk about where is this headed? Are you is your goal to build 
some kind of insular family or are you in an insular season of recovery and then your plan is to burst out of that season and make a massive impact for the kingdom. That's that's what I want to know. Totally. Because there is seasons where, yeah, you got to equip, you got to disciple. And, and I think discipleship's like that too. I think sometimes we'll, people will say even with... Um, yeah, just with our kids and certain things of like, oh, well, we got to go send them out on mission. Well, it's like, well, yeah, but <laughs> there's also another mission that might steam <laughs> steamroll them right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, like, that's right. And, and they need to be prepared f- to go on mission in a longer yeah, way, in, your, a, in a more healthy way, you know? Yeah. Are your, are your kids in this season missionaries or are they the mission field? You yes, have to decide exactly. which. And, and totally. like, there was a season where my children were the mission field. In other words, they were, they, it was their hearts I was trying to win with the gospel. Totally. And so I wasn't, you don't send out, a non-believer on mission. And but totally. once they became really committed, then they yeah. became missionaries in, in totally. other words. So yeah, it's, it's, you got to discern. And some people are, I just think that part of it is we just, you know, we haven't seen, and, and the, part of what's really captured Jeff and I is that we've looked at the, the, the stats um, about, about what happens to cultures that really build super strong families. What happens ultimately to evangelism when their retention rate of, of the believers in the family is, you know, 95 plus yeah. percent versus what it is now, which is like, you know, less than 40% in the evangelical world. And so ultimately what we're doing, you guys, is not working. It is not it is not helping the kingdom to lose 60% of our children to the world. That is not that is not healthy. That is not good evangelism. That's totally. not good kingdom must ministry. Be doing something wrong. <clears throat> that's right. We've got to figure that out. Like that's we've got to get really serious about what's going on there totally. and fix it because that's that's you know you can keep 90 percent of your children in the kingdom and still be very uh, outreach oriented but but obviously we can't keep doing the same thing we've been doing and think we're gonna get, gonna get a different result totally one last analogy i'll give on that question i think it's helpful is um it's like it's like we know it's family teams so sports analogies always lend themselves really well and it's like yeah a team has off season and then a team has the season right and an off season you're not playing any games there's no kind of uh, you know championship you're pursuing I mean there maybe is but you're it's like a long term preparation right um, and yeah. there is mission on the off season but the mission in the off season is usually for bolstering yourself right the off season is where you lift a bunch of right. weights. The off season is where you kind of work on the things that are broken. The off season is where you kind of do a bunch of drills. Like that's a mix, right? And so a lot of families, like you can be in the off season sometimes, but the season is way different. Like I remember, especially in some, a lot of baseball seasons, especially summer baseball, if anyone played that back in the day, like you don't ever practice at all in the, once the, once the summer season hits, like you practice other places, but summer season is 100% just literally games. (laughs) You just show up and you play games and games and games and games. Um, but you wouldn't be able to do that unless you had the off season first, right? For prep, um, and getting on the same page and continuity. So I just think that's a helpful way to think like, which one is your family in? So, um, okay. Uh, and that's classic me and Jeremy where we spent like 30 minutes on one question, which I love. So we'll get to maybe like two more. What? So Karen, this is a good one. And she asked a bunch. So I'll let you tease out which one you want. She kind of did one of those, um, you know, running questions, which I think was, these are all actually super helpful. Can you drill down uh, what family teams looks like in specific situations? What does it sound like? And what does it look like when you need to discipline? And like how is it kind of like basically like what, how is it different in all these micro situations than just like individualism when you need to be <clears throat> mindful of what is age appropriate? What about people who have a shame attack because they have no idea where to start and they hear all this and they have zero context for what healthy family even looks like? And how do you keep from being derailed from the goal? So there's a lot to go there. Maybe let's, let's start with that yeah. end one. Start with that end one of like, because I think that one's really important. People hear this and like classic, you know, humans, we all want to then go do it or be great at it immediately. And we get overwhelmed. Mm. Um, yeah. How do you not make that happen with family teams methodology? How do you kind of like not have the shame attack of like, oh, I don't know what this means. I don't know how to start this. I feel overwhelmed. It's a big mountain to climb. Yeah, totally. Well, this kind of goes back to our previous conversation, which is like, I would say to someone like, you know, I would say to you, Karen, um, man, yet you are recovering from probably we all are, um, a lot of, a lot of difficult stuff that's happened with our ideas of family. It's going to take time. Like you can't, that shame attack is sort of a lot lot of times. One of the, you know, one of the problems we have is you, you start to have a new idea and you think that because I under, I'm, I just had this giant epiphany, the next day I should experience um, all of the things that that epiphany um, really mm. represents, or I'm doing something wrong and I should feel bad. And that, and so that's part of why the previous conversation was so important. When I, when I talked about going into the hospital, or really like what Jeff's saying about off season, um, I really think it's important to understand like that's that's inevitable. I don't know anybody who's 
been able to turn their family around from a Western kind of paradigm, which almost all everyone listening to this is really starting from, where we're just the family is a collection of individuals and a springboard for individual success, and transformed that group into a family team on mission um, in in like a very short period of time. It usually takes it takes years. And yeah. this is a this t- it took generations to cause this problem. It's going to take generations to really fix it, and that's why I love the the litmus test of you know you want your children's um, you know uh, ceiling uh, to be your floor, right? Or is that do I say that right? Your ceiling <laughs> reverse, to be their floor. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> something like that. Yep. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's, totally. They're up there. So yes, exactly. Um, it, and so it's important. Like I love that idea because it 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 takes the shame off, and it's like. The, the way to think about am I making success is never to compare yourself to other families, but really think about your own family and its trajectory. Are you getting healthier? Are you moving forward in the kingdom? Are you experiencing this kind of team stuff um, more than you you were before? Like not not according to an ideal picture in your head or another family you're seeing on Instagram or something. Like make sure it's based on where you're at and you're making progress against that. So that's kind of the first thing I would say, you know, be really careful how you're judging yourself and and no, no this takes a lot of time. Yeah, that's good. I love that. What about um, some of those other things she said? It's just how do you kind of make sure in all these specific moments that comes up in parenting that you're kind of doing the family team's way and not kind of just fostering a more individualized experiment? Yeah, man. Well, I think, you know, use the word discipline. How do you discipline in a family team's way? And, you know, one of the things that, and this is all kind of you introduce these things often in a gradated fashion. But one of the things we, we like to talk a lot about is you begin to talk to your group like they're a team as opposed to as individuals. And so if something's kind of going wrong with the team, you know, it's 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 unusual for a father and mother to sit their child down and say, hey, that really hurt us. That like that the team took a hit when you lied or the team took a hit you know, when you decided to be selfish, like we're, we need to do this together. Like we're sacrificing for you and we're all sacrificing for what God's calling our family to be and do. Um, and so that's very different language than most people here. Usually you just talk about character qualities, or this will make you a, like a worse person in the future, or, you know, who's going to want to be your friend. And again, these are all individual ideas and, and all those are good things to bring up, you know, as you're training and, and talking to your children. But but, but I think that it's a lot more powerful often to talk about the team implications of what they're doing or experiencing. We live in a, the most hyper-individualistic culture uh, in the world. And this is one of the reasons, uh, probably the history of the world, most sociologists say, and this is the reason why Jeff and I talk a lot about team, because you know, just a lot of times if people have had a really good experience on a team, they can see how that coach disciplines different than the way a father or mother would. Like the coach is, is gonna say, hey, come here. Like when you, when you just sort of like haphazardly blocked that person, you know, and, and, and you just kind of let the team down and, you know, the quarterback got sacked, like, yeah. like, Hey, you know, I, I remember being in a locker room once, um, with a lineman coach and, you know, one of these, you know, the, the our quarterback was getting sacked over and over again. And I, I'd never seen somebody so enraged, you know, just breaking <laughs> yeah. clipboards and you know, he, and he was, but he, what he was saying was so powerful. He was like, it's your responsibility to protect this guy. Like we, that is your, it's just, and it fired them up. They were like, you know, if you yeah. want to see like a group of linemen, like get like really intense. <laughs> and and I think we talk a lot about those locker room conversations within the family. It's like, guys, we're going to go do this thing. And like, and, and then when you debrief and say, like, we really tried to take our family on mission. Um, and like, oh man, when you were really selfish there with your sister, um, that, that really hurt us. Like we're trying to be a team. And, you know, so, so if you've had those experiences as team, that's sometimes the fastest like transition in terms of the, in the word discipline, you guys historically just meant training. And one of the, probably the second thing I'll say, and Jeff, I'm sure you, you know, you, you say some more about this, but um, one of the things that with the, the, the least uh, sort of elements or nutrients in the modern family is training. And so you see that when a coach is doing that and saying all that stuff, you know, yelling at his team, you know, trying to trying to like get them all. And I'm not saying we should yell at our kids, but there's a there's an application there. Like we can really use team language with our kids. But what I am saying is that that the coach that is saying those really direct things during a game, um, they have spent and invested, you know, months training yeah. them. 
And so a lot of times what, what Christian parents do is they yell at their kids, discipline their kids, you know, punish their kids, but they've never trained their kids. So they, they're like the coach who yells at their team, but never showed up for practice, never ran a single drill with the team. And so that's probably another place I would go. And that's, you know, Jeff and I uh, did the whole skill of fatherhood to really train dads how to think about training. Um, that's our, we really think that this this is totally different than what what most Christian parenting sort of ideas of just discipline your kids or just have grace on your kids, either of those. Um, it's really important to, there's a, there's a central idea, which is the Bible really emphasizes training. It says, train a child the way they should go. It, you know, fathers are commanded in Ephesians 6 to train up their children as well. And so we need this skill of being able to train the way that a coach has learned for years how to train and, and run drills. And this can be super fun for a family, cause them to be really, uh, really cohesive and experience the kind of team spirit you might experience in a sport. And man, if yeah. you can hit that kind of gold, it's going to be beautiful. So that's, but you have to invest in learning how to train. And mo- many of you listening to this already know how to do it because you've done it in, in teams, you've done it at work, you've done it in schools, and you've done, you've experienced being well trained, but you've never applied those same tactics into your family with your own children. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest differences between thinking about a family as a team or just a collection of individuals. Yeah. I mean, literally like there's nothing that's made our family come more alive than kind of this intentional coaching language and mentality with the kids, right? That me and Alyssa are coach, like we're coaches. So we're going to be proactive, not just reactive. We're going to think of how we want to point them and direct them and all these different things. And it's actually like really fun. Like meaning that like you know, and again, this depends on what kind of team you played on. If you played for the angry coach that yelled and broke clipboards and all that, then you kind of like that's usually it's not always the best picture. But if you played for, you know, a coach where you the the the, co- the best coaches are the ones that I played for where like they actually believed in me more than I believed in me. And they called me to a level yeah. of they basically could see my future self before I could see it. Do you know what I mean? Like you were like yeah. they were calling me somewhere into the future of like a better version of myself through kindness, compassion, gentleness, but also through like that, that perfect razor edge of like, Hey, I I know this is hard, but I also know you can do it. Like they actually believed in me more than I believed in me. Um, yes. I think what's really important too, is that we, is that like, it just makes them come alive. Like they, because you, you start to see them of like, they almost start to blow you away and there's no better fun stage than when your kids start to blow you away with their maturity, with their level of growth. And because you're kind of calling them outside of the Americanized version of what a child should be and actually into this really robust image bearer. That's really powerful and fun and joyful and smart and intuitive and uh, can contribute and all these different things appropriately. And so I would say that, and then, yeah, and then just it's language, right? Like I, I honestly, especially with toddlers. If you're a toddler home, we found ourselves, we're like, like basically 90% of this game is just like language. Meaning we're always just saying what Jeremy said of like every single spat or conflict is always kind of saying like, Hey, do you think that served the team? Did that serve your brother? Did you serve your sister? Um, Hey, what's your role in this? What were you kind of doing? How can we be on, you know, all those different things. One thing that's really helpful too, is we'll always, anytime we go do something, we always kind of, I, I do this thing where I say team huddle up. And then when I say that, they often like run to me and get on my lap. And that's basically for like a little mm-hmm. team talk and we'll come in. And then that's usually of like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going <laughs> to, and in toddlers, we're not going on crazy mission. It's like, Hey, we're going to go, you know, take some cookies to the neighbors or, Hey, we're going to church right now. Yeah. So I need to, we need to get in the car in an obedient fashion. Like the tiniest little things I huddle them up for like just the tiniest little kind of pregame talks, um, that, and then we also do this little handshake thing where, you know, kind of like those classic movies, like mighty ducks or something where they put, you know, their hands in the middle and they say, you know, ducks on three or something like that. So we say, we say team Beth key on three. And I probably find myself doing that two to three times a day. Um, and that's such a, just fun little rallying point for the kids to be like, okay, we can, we're, we're together. And you're just pounding this home. You're pounding this home that we are a team. We are together. We fight for each other. We love each other and we are close, um, you know, to each other. And so I think, yeah, just language, 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 you know, swap out a bunch of language and that's the easiest, but also one of the most yeah. transformative ways to, to kind of do that. And so I think that's a great, that's great right. question. Um, okay. Here's a good one that I think we get a lot. Uh, Rebecca said, would love for you to talk about how family teams works for professions where the hours worked aren't up to us and are often overworked, like medical residency and military, et cetera. And we get this question a lot because we do, 
you know, talk about being more intentional with your family and, you know, take a Sabbath meal and this and that. And sometimes that can feel kind of like overwhelming or feel like a burden to people who feel like, oh, I have no more minutes left in the day or like I work crazy yeah. shifts or it's irregular. Like there's different versions of this, but we get this a lot. And so I, and, and I, and I think it totally can be done. And we, we, and not just us telling you that, like we see people do it all the time. We see people in the military living as family teams. We see people who are, you know, the dad's a doctor living as family teams. We see overseas missionaries or even sometimes where the dad's not even there. Like maybe he's got a crazy job where he, he's gone two months of the year. Like it can be done. Um, and we've seen it over and over again in this community, but you got to be more creative and more intentional. And so, but yeah, Jeremy, what would you say to this? How, how, what are some of those tips of people that do do that well, uh, in an overworked schedule when it's not up to you, you're not in, as in control of your schedule, or maybe it's an irregular schedule, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I, I think the first thing we always want to sort of diagnose in these situations is, do you feel called to that profession? Yes. Um, or, or why did you go into it? And if you do feel called and this isn't, wasn't just like, oh yeah, I thought this would actually be the most, um, sort of the best way to provide. Um, but you know, in other words, it's, it's okay to second guess if the reason you, you did that was this, you felt like this was the best lifestyle and you're like now becoming captivated by a different lifestyle with more flexibility and more time with family. So first diagnose that. Now, if you decide, yes, it's a calling, I, I definitely feel called to this, you know, and you, you, you understand and, and sense that, um, the Bible really, I mean, first Corinthians seven, Paul says, stick with the calling that you were given. He was talking about people that were just becoming believers. And I think he was talking about their professional life. So, so man, if you're called to that, then, then you have to begin to think about how your family is called to that as a team. And so they are oftentimes sending you out, but they all, th this should shape uh, dramatically the mission of your family. Because if you've got an individual calling and you started a family, then you have a family calling. And so you have to figure out ways to integrate your family into your calling. And so that that's going to look very different depending on, you know, what kinds of things that you are a part of. I know Jeff you talked about this as a like a when you were speaking and you were had to think yeah. about this. Um and so those are some practical examples would be really helpful, but you know, that that's kind of the first thing is like embrace the things you feel called to, integrate your family into them and make sure that as you're doing that you're talking to your family. This is our calling. And so when I go out and win, we just won as a family. This is what it looks like to support this calling as a family. Um, and so that might look very different depending on, you know, which, what the calling actually is, but I think it's important to integrate all that into the team. Totally. And yeah, exactly what you said. It's just la language, language, language. So like I've talked about this before, but when I, you know, there's times where I've gone out and spoke and it's kind of like ripped our family apart or just felt like, man, everyone, I'm leaving everyone crying and they don't care and blah, blah, blah. And there's times where I've gone out and spoken and it's felt like literally one of the most powerful things ever because I feel almost like a diplomat of the Bethke family. And it's all because of a language difference in preparation, right? It's like, hey, you know, leading up to that, it's like, hey guys, you know, dad's job, he does feel called to it. I'm going to shape it around hopefully what we can do best for our family. But the moments that I do have to leave, I want you to know that it's not me going out by myself that you're not a part of, but actually everything that happens in this home has shaped me for that moment. And I'm going to go serve. I'm going to go love. I'm going to hopefully go minister and speak God's truth. And I need you guys to pray for me. I need you guys to send me out, you know, all these different things. Uh, and like, you guys are kind of like my home base for sending me out in this quick little mission. And, uh, and yeah, just changing that language, man, changes everything. Then they like, they, you know, everything from getting videos to little FaceTimes while I'm gone of them, like, you know, saying the cutest little things of them thinking, you know, that, that we're on mission together and showing that they really believe that. And so it really comes down to the leadership of language. Um, and I love your distinction of like a lot of there, there is a lot of people where sometimes this family, like when you realize that God has a mission for your family and then you realize, and, and then sometimes that can confront choices you've already made like a job or like a profession um, of like realizing that like, oh, this is actually this, what I'm doing and the life I'm individually choosing while I have a family and a spouse is actually making them drown and is actually hurting them and killing them, you know, metaphorically, that's not very helpful. And so, um, and, and that can confront that. And so then you sometimes need to realize like, okay, maybe do, do I trust God enough to take a step of faith that if I'm doing what he wants me to do, he'll take care of us. Yes. And then there are those other jobs where it's like, no, I, we are called to the medical profession. We are called to, you know, serve in the military. Um, and we're going to do that together as a family. And so it just really comes down to that distinction. And God provides when, when you're living in obedience, meaning like if you're living in obedience of the call, or if you're living in obedience of like, I need to actually not do this, 
both of those are living in obedience and God honors obedience yeah. and God honors, you know, you. And, and I, and so I, I just would really, really encourage you with that and get creative with language, get creative with traditions, get creative with owning what you can. There's some things we can't own. We can't own some of our schedules. We can't own where we have to be when we have to be. So own what you can own, get creative. And that's kind of the fun part is treat your life not as like shackles for your family. Treat your life as like a whiteboard for your family. Of like, we just get to experiment. I get to try, put stuff on the dry erase board and then erase it if it doesn't work. We get to try again. We get to work together. I get to experiment. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's a really, uh, a really, really good one. So, okay, let's talk about uh, maybe one or two more. Um, this is a good one. So we talk a lot about um, how do you do family teams and multi-generational concept when your family is not normal, this person said, in quotes. Uh, so if your grandparents are dealing with illness or physical illness or mental illness, or um, I would even say, you know, you can even go into, you know, maybe where the upper stream isn't that healthy. How do you kind of navigate, yeah. um, you know, all these different seasons where the upstream isn't ide- as ideal as you'd like it to be, if that makes sense? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So we want one of the just overarching frameworks we like to talk through is that when you're dealing with upstream, what the, the, your primary posture is honoring when you're dealing with like horizontal, like siblings, it's like invitational. And when you go downstream, in other words, with your children, your grandchildren, <clears throat> you can be a little bit more idealistic or vision casting, but you don't want to cast vision up. Usually that doesn't work really well. Um, and so that's the framework from which we kind of think about. Now, if you've got stuff going on upstream that is unhealthy and you are you really want to model or help your kids see a multi-generational um, expression, then the conversation needs to be, how do we honor this person? Right. So it's like, so it's a, it's a conversation around honor and you need to have healthy boundaries. You don't have to integrate or bring them in and in a way that's really destructive to your family. Um, but I do think that we're commanded to honor. And I think that the reason, um, is that it has a massive impact downstream. That's why Paul, that's why it says in the 10 commandments that if we honor our father and mother, it'll go well, we'll live a good life. And so there's a, there's a direct correlation there between, um, honoring upstream, but honoring is, I love the word. It's, it's very, you know, you, it's, it's like, you're trying to treat them with respect and demonstrate that your love and, and care in some tangible way, but it isn't really defined. And so, um, so you just have to think about your own situation and don't feel guilty about like, Oh, I, I need to be, you know, inviting them over every single week. And I think it's really unhealthy. It's like, no, no, no. Like take a really, Think creatively and clearly about your specific situation and what honor means in that situation and then kind of lean into it. And if it's going really well, then you can lean in a little bit more. But it is challenging, you guys, to go upstream um, because oftentimes there there, there can be a, a different vision. We talk a lot about like di- just discerning, are you an Abraham and Sarah generation or an Isaac and Rebecca generation? Right. Abraham and Sarah were told to yeah. leave their family and really start a new family line. And we know we found out later why. And that was that Abraham's father was an idol worshiper. And so he was really starting a completely new story. And so there wasn't a lot of upstream stuff. But man, Isaac wasn't told to leave his family. Isaac stayed and was really integrated with his upstream generation, Abraham and Sarah, because they were on the same mission, because they were following the same God. And so that's a big way to determine how like how deeply to integrate um but always honor upstream you know find creative ways to do that um in even if even if that requires some level of boundaries for for just keeping your own family healthy totally i love that i love that so okay one one follow-up thought or one final thought closing thought what would you say to yeah anyone listening maybe let's let's assume maybe they've been with us this whole year journey of of you know listen, kind of, kind of maybe dabbled, maybe not all in, maybe not someone who's all in like homeroom and stuff like that. What would you say to, to that person? Who's kind of like intrigued, interested, running into some roadblocks. Do you remember yourself, you know, a year into kind of this shift, you know, and what that looked like and what would kind of be a final kind of benediction to them? <laughs> well, I think that <laughs> it's really important that you don't try to do this alone <clears throat> as an isolated family. Yeah. I just, there's, there are so many cultural pressures, virtually every movie, TV show, the way that <clears throat> every one of our school systems, many of our churches are designed is to break us down as individuals. And so don't expect that you're going to be able to have an idea or a philosophical or theological shift about family to, oh, I think it probably is a multi-generational team on mission. 
and that you'll magically be equipped to build that kind of family <clears throat> when your whole life you've been trained to build your family as a collection of individuals uh, and as a springboard for individual success. It's it's really challenging, and so that's why we we have a lot of empathy for the fact that that is if you have this epiphany, the next step is get equipped and, and try to get equipped uh, by others who are a step or two ahead. And so we've been working really hard at you know finding those opportunities where we can equip one another. Uh, but that's really the <clears throat> the next step. Um, it's not really realistic to think that you can figure out the kinds of tools um, that will actually cause a multi-generational family team to succeed in this culture. Now, the really good news, you guys, is that there are tools that are so powerful that if you start implementing them, and you often can implement them you know, fairly quickly, it's difficult to not see a multi-generational team emerge out of your family. Like There are tools that, are, that have been used for centuries that, are, that really create, take a, take a sort of disparate group of individuals and turn them into a multi-generational team on mission. Um, and so that, the, it's like, so I have so much hope for um, all you guys. And a lot of you have begun to implement some of these tools, you know, that we've been, we've been really working, working through and they really work and they really, they really like change uh, the future. And so there, uh, I have like more hope and more excitement than ever, um, that, that, that you can do this and that you have uh, within you and within the larger body of Christ and in God's kingdom, all the resources you need to build uh, your family into a team on mission. So, so don't ever lose heart. Know that it's not gonna be easy, uh, that you can't do this alone and that you do need to invest uh, into this area of your family, but you will see the fruit if you do that. Yeah, exactly. So, and guys, that's why family teams exist. So if you want any of those tools, any of those resources, familyteams.com has everything. But um, hey, we love you guys. We thank you guys. And yeah, this is an ongoing conversation. So any follow-ups even to this conversation, hit us up on Instagram, at Family Teams, uh, on Facebook, other places. Just let us know what you thought. Let us know any more clarifications. We love this discussion and love this dialogue. And we hope you guys have a good holiday week. Guys, how fun of a conversation was that? If you follow Family Teams, you know me and Jeremy, we can talk forever. We think deeply. We love talking and chatting and sharpening each other. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed it. Hey, real quick, do not forget, big, big, big week. Familyteams.com slash Black Friday. We thought we would just bless you guys and started early to celebrate the one-year anniversary of Family Teams today. Today. So November 25th, all the way till the end of November, familyteams.com slash Black Friday, like four or five crazy deals on there. Um, I think collectively there's like $900 like <laughs> knocked off from all the deals we're doing. Like we're giving away e-courses for free, the Family Team Starter Kit. You're saving like $150, I think, if you would buy it all separately. Um, $100 off all the Family Team's weekend tickets. Um, but yes, you need to get on there and get them though before they go away because some of that stuff, we only have a limited amount of stock. So familyteams.com slash Black Friday. Don't miss out on the deal. Love you guys.